Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hometown Daily News Show, Season 2, Episode 100 for April 10th, 2023. Oil is known as Texas tea. Lithium should be known as Cornish cream. Here's a quick rundown of the articles we'll be talking about tonight. More than 2,000 freight rail workers have filed whistleblower complaints for safety concerns over the last 10 years. An historic nebula is seen like never before. Lithium, a white gold rush. It's exciting in Cornwall. Thousands of purple creatures wash ashore in California. Fox News settles a lawsuit with a Venezuelan businessman. I think... It's an ominous foretelling of the future. Don't use public phone charging stations because the FBI says so. AI can crack most common passwords almost instantly. A banana is being peeled by an elephant and it's self-taught. Kind of showing how smart it really is. And a former CEO thinks that a judge's novel is based on him. And well, now he wants a new judge. And now you can also watch every Star Trek movie in 4K HDR. Let's get into tonight's articles. Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. That's a little announcement thing that just went away. And way up there is the AI from on high. The one, the only yeah, AI. That's they, they still go by AI. Just refer to them as AI. Hey, and it says what I needed to say. Uh, good evening, hometown citizens. Pick up that can. Oh, uh, anyway. Um, so you all don't see it but i see the little alert that says pick up that can citizen you you guys don't see it. you you all out there don't see it this is weird um it it says that my bandwidth is all wonky again but that's not possible it is maybe it's on twitch's side only hmm. i don't know well anyway um, we've got a bunch of articles already uh, picked out like we normally do, and then we're going to go through them. Uh, before I do that, don't forget that you can go over to hometown.showbot.tv, and after 60 days, you don't have to watch the VODs over on Twitch because they're not there. Um, but you can go over to YouTube and watch uh, this show. And every episode since the start of last year, uh, January 1st last year, 2022 is when I started this. And um, you can also get this as a podcast. And we've got some more announcements coming um, later. Just, I don't know, maybe over the next couple of weeks, we've got um, some projects that had been kicked down the road for a little while, but now we're on the cusp of uh, completing them. Just got to pull that ripcord and let the parachute open. Right now, um, Mayor Watch just hurtling towards the ground. We'll make it work. Anyway, want to get into today's articles? Sounds great. All right. So the very first article is in the Mobile Channel. 
More than 2,000 freight rail workers have filed whistleblower complaints for safety concerns in the last 10 years, according to documents. Okay, so if 2,000 freight rail workers have filed whistleblower complaints, why are we just now hearing about it publicly? Exactly. And if we have 2,000 whistleblower complaints, doesn't that mean that we have more than 2,000 initial complaints before the whistleblower complaints? Right. Like we probably have many more than 2,000 to get to 2,000 whistleblower complaints. You know, I'm really curious about that stat. How many complaints turn into whistleblower complaints? Because this is the kind of complaint that goes from, well, I, I told my boss and I told my boss's boss and there's about 50 other people that know about this because we've been talking amongst ourselves about it, waiting for the administration to do something. So I guess I'm going to have to go outside of uh, the chain of command and really put myself in the crosshairs because a real uh, whistleblower for whatever reason, a whistleblower is seen as being a lesser being, somebody that's not a team player, somebody to be vilified, hated, uh, marginalized, ostracized. I mean, it's ridiculous. They're talking about the safety of the people, the human beings that drive the train literally down the road. And the whole point of whistleblower protections is for that very reason. Um, I mean, it's kind of sad that those are a sad state of uh, society that those are needed, but absolutely. The other thing that doesn't make sense here to me, I mean, clearly those complaints weren't being listened to, but it looks like the union was involved. So what I can't figure out is why the union didn't file very publicly, go to the media, et cetera. Now, maybe they did. I don't know all the backstory, yeah. but they could have made a lot out of this. Yeah, flip that table and solve this problem, whatever it might be. Well, the little snippet is that in 2013, Jeff Kurtz, then a union officer at, uh, for the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, um, as well as an engineer for BNSF, helped a co-worker file a whistleblower complaint against the railroad. Uh, the train's cruise control system, known as Trip, Trip Optimizer, um, was reportedly malfunctioning, which can be a serious safety hazard. So the worker disabled it and took steps to generate a record of the malfunction, as Kurtz described it in a, in a 2016 testimony to the Department of Labor in Washington, D.C., and in a recent interview with Motherboard. So let's go over to that article. Um, and here it is. Wow. that Oh, <laughs> the that train just wanted to go sleepy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that That picture is pretty powerful because we shouldn't be seeing the train in that position. Yeah, so for those of you who aren't watching uh, because you're watching or listening to the podcast, there it's a full-on engine a train laying on its side like, uh, what is it, Chuggington? Yeah, wanted to go sleepy. Oh, yeah. Aww, he just Brewster and I, Wilson. Yeah, uh, they wanted to go sleepy. So it it's laying there uh, next to a bulldozer and a skid loader and yeah quite fascinating so i think that's a skid loader anyway i, I don't now i don't now i'm questioning everything 
Anyway, the vast majority of complaints are dismissed or thrown out for technical reasons. According to uh, Aaron Gordon, this article is written for vice.com by uh, Aaron Gordon. And it has this little, little, I don't know what that line is. I, I, I've never pursued what that line is. It's not a byline. It's not a caption. It's not a. I feel like it's a log line or something, but that might not be right. That might not be right. It's anyway, a brief summary. That's not quite the same thing. And that's not it either. So anyway, so you all don't have to be burdened by the inside baseball here. Um, so the worker disabled it and took steps to generate a record of the malfunction. That way, if it failed again, there would be documentation that the system is the problem, not the worker. Well, the following month, the worker was available for 92% of his scheduled hours, but the railroad assigned him to a train only 43 hours that month. He was then punished under a company rule for low performance, which could have resulted in him being fired. But in a written response to um, OSHA, the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, which was then sent to Kurtz and viewed by Motherboard, the company accused the worker of gaming the scheduling system to work as little as possible. But they simply describe a worker using the scheduling system in the same manner they have heard dozens of others, uh, other workers say they do in their two years reporting on freight rail labor issues. I'm not quite sure what that means. Me neither. And, you know, the fact that the railroad only scheduled him for, say, half the hours that he needed and then turned around and said, you're not working enough hours. Well... <laughs> Seems like a catch-22, even without any whistleblower aspects. So, out of the 2,000 whistleblower complaints, 89% allege violations under the uh, FRSA. It's something that we've heard before, um, which is the Federal Railroad Safety Act, a 2007 law that was designed to protect railroad workers. This is the thing that popped up on the East Palestine um, incident. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that it's weird. Where do they all, uh, it's like they're on a track to nowhere. These whistleblower complaints, where do they get put? I want to know where they're filed and who gets to adjudicate them because for instance, does it only go to the railroad and then they get squashed or something? I don't know. They shouldn't. So Kurtz remembers asking OSHA whether it would be an issue if the railroad had a policy of firing 10 people every month and eight of them just happened to be whistleblowers. The answer he was told was no. So the responses to whistleblowers, uh, see, but I think that whistleblowers need to be anonymous because of stuff like that, because whatever it is, you know, you're seen as biting the hand that feeds you or something like that. But what you want what you should be encouraging is people disclosing these issues so that you still have a hand at the end of your career, you know, biting the hand that feeds you means that you have to compromise everything so that you can keep your job. That power imbalance is the very reason for unions and the very reason why whistleblowers should be protected because all it takes is you complaining to the wrong person in the wrong way at the wrong time. And you're out of a job because the entire nation has encouraged this at will state where you can quit whenever you want and you can be fired whenever you want. But the power really should be on the freedom of the person accepting the job. 
to quit at will, but the employer shouldn't be able to wake up one day and say, I don't like the color of your shoes. You're fired when it isn't based on actionable issues like lack of performance or a, <laughs> you cuss at a customer or you uh, drive a forklift into a stack of uh, shelves or whatever it might be. There should be reasons why you are fired, but there shouldn't be any reason why you should be, uh, you shouldn't be able to quit because you can't be forced into work. Anyway, it says here, while the workforce shrank, the rule books grew, encompassing hundreds of pages across different regulatory and internal frameworks. The rules became so numerous, complicated, and sometimes contradictory that they provided ample pretext to punish any employee at any time. So they go into great, great detail about this. Um, out of all of the cases that were brought to them between 2017 and 2022, 1,258 of them were dismissed. 192 were settled. 27 of them say that they had merit, but if you have 192 that settled, you might as well roll that into 219 that had merit. <laughs> um, so, and these are OSHA. These are OSHA decided outcomes. So why were they kicked out? Why did OSHA basically say, no, they're nothing, right? I have had a, I have a guess. So let's what? say a worker complains. They don't have access to all the information, so they can't necessarily fully support their claim. And then the management comes in and says, well, no, we're doing it like this, A, B, and C. They've got probably documents to back that up that may or may not match what's actually happening. I mean, I could see that a lot of these would actually get dismissed. That shouldn't be though. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, cases regarding whistleblowers where it takes, you know, years, a decade, years and years to recover what was lost when you are wrongfully terminated for calling out for whistleblowing issues that need to be fixed in terms of the, the safety and, and maybe work-life balance of um, an employee. You know, oh, you the should... other problem is if the person is terminated or suspended or something along those lines, they have zero access to any information they need to show to support their complaint. Um, so and that's the response, another possibility. And the employer basically says, well, they're just a, a, a bitter ex-employee that's been benched and... and uh, there's a, nothing there's to see a, here. There's another term for that, but I can't remember what it is. Disgruntled, a disgruntled employee, you know, which is just crap. You know, if, if there is a problem that needs to get fixed, it should be fixed. It shouldn't be something that the administration can look at it and go, well, you know, it, it, it's only cost one person's leg. It doesn't matter if it's, but I don't know if that's actually happened in any of these, but you know, out of 2000 shouldn't complaints, go to that, right? Right. <laughs> like these people are trying to prevent things like this. 
Yeah. And then you have to fight your way back and get your reputation back. So this, this article goes pretty deep into it. Um, and, uh, it says Kurtz argues that this is not a sign of better behaved railroads, but the exact opposite, an industry that punishes anyone who speaks out a flawed process for protecting whistleblowers and a workforce scared into silence and the data backs them up. Accidents per million miles traveled have been increasing across the country since 2013 with a sharp upturn since the introduction of precision scheduled railroading uh, began in earnest around 2017. The system is set up for you to fail, said Kurtz regarding whistleblowers and it's set up. So it's pretty well foolproof. Um, Again, there's a lot more over here at this vice article. So I encourage you to just follow the link through hometown and it's now in the chat. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, um, be sure to follow that link. You can log in, you can sign up, you can leave a comment once you log in, um, or you can do other things flag it, vote it up, um, is coming, but, uh, we've made some pretty dramatic changes to the interface. So, uh, the voting system is being evaluated again. Um, at any rate, there's, there's more coming, but go and check this out. I I'm more interested in doing the real time discussions with you here on Twitch and over on YouTube and via the podcast. And we have a Patreon still and a discord. <laughs> um, don't really use Twitter so much anymore, but at any rate, um, come and visit us here at um, twitch.tv slash hometown. Uh, more and more uh, this summer, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> That's a really old saying. Um, and uh, It is, but it tracks because I was talking about Galaga and this Pac-Man today, so I feel like it's in the same era. <laughs> oh, and I was listening to a Star Trek podcast today that was talking about it. Um, a bunch of other. I think that it, I, because of Super Mario Brothers, that's another thing. The Super Mario Brothers uh, movie came out and people are like, Meh. but some of them like it. Anyway. Um, let's not get distracted like usual, Marowat. Keep going down the road here. So the next article is over on the Mobile Channel. Historic nebula seen like never before with imaging X-ray polar. I knew I was going to mess it up, but I had it set in my head. Polarimetry, um, or yeah, I don't know. Anyway, polar polarimetry, um, explorer. God. My brain just shut down around that. On February 22nd, 1971, a sounding rocket lifted off from Wallops Island, Virginia with specialized sensors aimed at the Crab Nebula, a bright cosmic object 6,500 light years away. In those days before recovering physical tapes from the experiment, scientists first received scientific data on a strip chart recorder. I knew about these when they said it. Anyway, it's a device that printed signals on paper and people would actually measure the signals using a ruler and pencil. So everything was analog. Wow. <laughs> so this is an article over at fizz.org. Yeah. Talk about getting in your way back machine. Um, historic nebula seen like never before. And this is an image of the crab nebula that, 
um, merges two different data points together. Um, the article is written by El Elizabeth Landau, NASA's uh, Goddard Space Flight Center. So I'm going to click this link so that you can see the full thing. Um, and so Magenta is the is NASA's imaging X-ray polar 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 polar. I can't even say <laughs> it's just it. Ant, ant, In my ant. head, I can say it. <laughs> Polarimetry. 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 I need to rename that. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, Explorer. That's in magenta, and the and NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory is in dark purple, and so they merged it together to show you what really is essentially the a 3D construct of the Crab Nebula in those two ranges of measurement. So. Uh, it gives a greater dimensionality to what we've had before. And this is actually really old data. Um, so is astronomer data, the data from the seventies that they did, do you do this? No, no, no. Um, but it says what makes science so beautiful and exciting is that, uh, for those few moments, we're seeing something that no one has ever seen before. Um, now an emeritus astronomer at NASA's Marshall flight, uh, center in Huntsville, Alabama. So decades later, Weisskopf proposed the development of an earth orbiting satellite with powerful instruments that could gather much more detailed measurements of the same kind about the crab nebula and other mysterious cosmic objects. So what I was trying to allude to is that nobody knew any of this information until people created an experiment and then even in the analog days of this documented scientifically relevant information to give some type of understanding of what the crab nebula is and as we've evolved our technology even though one might argue society isn't really evolving um, our scientific efforts certainly are and so now we have a better understanding of what it is, what it looks like. Now, 50 years later, after the sounding rocket experiment, scientists have used IXPE, which is essentially the same thing, except much more powerful already out in space, pointing at the object in question, reveals more of its inner workings than ever before. So they published this in Nature Astronomy, and um, it shows the Crab Nebula's magnetic field resembles that of Velar Pulsar Wind Nebula. Which oh yeah, is also, I definitely recognize that. <laughs> which is also a donut-shaped um, object. But the Crab Nebula, scientists were surprised that areas of magnetic field turbulence were more patchy and asymmetrical uh, than expected, which is really interesting to me because where is this magnetic field disappearing into if it isn't so my understanding of magnetic fields is there's a beginning and an end to them they don't they dissipate but only uh, from an object that's in motion uh, so think of a bar magnet so if it isn't moving then you can actually see the lines of flux by just sprinkling metal filings on the bar magnet on top of a piece of paper you put the bar magnet underneath the paper, you put the paper on top and you start sprinkling metal filings and it'll actually show you the lines of force around the magnetic field that's created. 
Is this related to like the right hand rule and everything? It's similar, um, but that actually has to do with um, the flow of energy uh, through like copper or something like that. And uh, so there's always a magnetic field. So one or the other is created when electricity flows through a copper through a wire, um, it creates a magnetic field. And if you spin a magnetic field around a uh, copper, it will create electricity. It's pretty fascinating, right? So uh, one is a generator and one is a motor. One uses electricity and one creates it. So quite fascinating. Uh, somebody wakes up one day and comes up with this stuff. Um, but that's science for you. And so the magnetic field for this thing is being warped all out of control from whatever it is that's generating a magnetic field out there. I just yeah, thought it, it was really look interesting. Like a regular magnetic field in the picture here. Yeah, it's really fragmented. Uh, and maybe it's just because they can't measure it through whatever medium it is that that's actually. Yeah. Uh, transiting through I, I just don't know i don't Maybe, know enough about it, it either it doesn't look like it's going in certain directions like it just seems i don't know like particularly around the edges it just looks yeah. like it's kind of just doing whatever which and keep doesn't in mind, seem like what it would be doing the scale of this is thousands of light years so it's it's pretty expansive um so the article goes deeper into this and, and talks more about what the X-ray observatory is and um, all the rest of the equipment, uh, IXPE and whatnot. Um, but it's a, a pretty expansive article. So I would encourage you there to, to go over and check this out more. But the reason why I really wanted to show this was that, you know, outside of science, nobody has seen this until now you know it got published it got discussed and now people know that this is what it looks like from the x-ray and when they keep on tacking on these layers of data you get to see in real space now pull that into vr or something like that and show the dimensionality of it and you can actually walk within the nebula to see how it is in three dimensions Oh, that would be so cool. And I mean, how far have they come from like using a pen or pencil and yep. paper basically yep. to this? Yeah, I think it's really fascinating that you can actually go to a nebula in virtual space um, and not just your imagination, but you can have it embodied to some degree and show all of those layers of data, the magnetic field, x-ray, um, the different types of energy that are present there because you can use other variable light um, variable frequencies and build layer upon layer i think it's really fascinating we'll never get that close to a nebula ever um, outside of scientifics uh, the scientific community's reach um, and i would love to be able to walk within a, a nebula or fly within a nebula be pretty cool um, so let's keep on hustling through all of these articles. We will end up running uh, really late. So I hope you all don't mind. Um, this next article is uh, titled Lithium, a white gold rush excites Cornwall, but who gains? This is in the Hatch Ideas channel. Um, comes from BBC. 
Locals wonder who will benefit from the mining of a metal that's fueling a battery arms race. That's where we got the, the whole uh, title of this. Uh, oil is known as Texas tea. Lithium should be known as Cornish cream. Um, I thought, who, who could benefit from this? I don't know how much is buried here, um, but there is a gold rush to try and get as much lithium out of the ground as possible because if you haven't been paying attention to it, everything is switching to electric vehicles, which means you need massive battery packs and where you don't need battery packs in the car, you need battery packs storing a charge because uh, like it or not, energy is generated and it has to be used. Otherwise it's lost to the ground and to heat. So every, every, <laughs> watt that is created needs to be consumed otherwise it's waste so you slow down the generation you do other things um, but it all has to be used or you store it into batteries so and those dissipate energy over time they fail but at any rate this mad dash for lithium is leading to companies taking over sacred ground in the united states or here in the southwest of England, a mining company is uh, digging up Cornwall, but it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, the Romans came across UK uh, and went all the way up to Hadrian's Wall, digging holes all along the way to get various metals uh, and other things for use back home. Um, well, now they're saying that miners are using cutting edge technology to get their hands on lithium, a metal used to make batteries for everyday electronic devices that we all rely on from laptops to smartphones. Let's push that a little further to cars. And then they say lithium ion batteries also power electric cars. So what do you think? Well, I mean, I don't know what the extent of the lithium. Well, it sounds like there's a lot based on the um, proposed amounts that they can be mined. 10,000 tons a year. That sounds like quite a bit. Um, $19 billion by 2030. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we've talked about lithium mining in previous articles and I mean, the idea is good, but it's not without impact as we've discussed in previous articles. And I also wonder too, Cornwall of course is an area that has a lot of history, might have a lot of archeological history or other things like we've talked about in other articles and how much are they gonna basically destroy the area in order to get to this, I don't know. Yeah, that would be interesting. I didn't really think that much about the archaeological significance of this. Hmm. You just can't stop this kind of stuff from digging up the ground. So I wonder, would they, by the time they discover it, it's, you know, either explosives are used or strip mining is used. So they'll find the little, you know, pieces of Roman tile all over the place. Um, oh, what is that called? I can't remember now. Oh, look, the little alert is back. I tell you, just go away. Anyway, um, 
So person says some lithium mining abroad is horrific and companies in the UK have a chance to set better standards globally. Well, good luck. Um, they say that they recognize that it could bring huge economic benefits. And if we don't, uh, if nothing happens, the outlook is bleak for Cornwall. So they have a vested interest in not really stopping. They need to keep on moving. Cornwall needs this economic boost. Uh, so, yeah, and I think a lot of countries do, right? I mean, if they're sitting on a lot of lithium, financially, it would make sense to get moving on that effort. Yeah, because the more that other people bring to the market, the lower it's going to be in in terms of the rate of return. The only well, problem... What if, what if there are shortages and nobody has enough to go around? Yeah, well, and that's why I say that some countries would rather buy a strategic supply from other countries before they consume their own. Um, so Benchmark Metals has calculated that the UK needs to spend about $100 billion to spark a new electric vehicle industry, $20 billion to set up new gigafactories, and $80 billion to build the supply chain that feeds it. And that's just for the UK. Right. Now, I guess based on the amount of lithium they can mine, maybe those figures are doable. Yeah, I'm not, I'm just not sure that this is the right way to go. I, I think a lot of cars are being, EVs in particular, are being purchased with these batteries that are going to die five to ten years from now. Or they're going to be reduced in, in efficiency to the point where they need to be replaced or, or remanufactured. So they had better also, where they talk about the supply chain, they may be smart to focus on the recycling chain of that. I'm not sure if that's part of the supply chain per se. Recycling seems to always be tacked on like an ethics pamphlet. <laughs> right like oh maybe if there's time and money left over we'll deal with this but i agree that would probably be a better focus yeah well let's keep on hustling um the next article is over in the mobile channel thousands of purple creatures wash, wash ashore in california on saturday dana wharf what dana wharf whale watching in Orange County posted a video of the strange purple blobs that travel with the ocean currents and winds. Beachgoers say that they were washing ashore by the thousands along the south, um, Southern California coast, including at Huntington Beach, Zuma Beach, Manhattan Beach, and Salt Creek Beach. If you all... Yeah. I bet that surprised some of the um, beachgoers sitting there sunning themselves. Well... What do you think they were thinking, these purple creatures? Oh my goodness, now we're on a beach and there's these really long-legged, whatever, bags yeah, of right. mostly I mean, water. Like the spider and a person kind of construct. That's, that's right. This article's over at thehill.com by Mark Sternfield and Alex Martishow. I believe that's how you pronounce their name. If I'm wrong, then correct me phonetically in an email not just by pointing a finger at me. Anyway, 
Um, it says, look, but don't touch. That's the message from marine biologists at Southern California. Sees an influx of jellyfish-like creatures known as Valella Valella, or by the, by the wind sailors. Okay, I love that name, Valella Valella. On Saturday, Dana Wharf whale watching in Orange County posted a video of the strange purple blobs that travel with the ocean currents and winds. Beachgoers were seeing them wash ashore. They feed on algae and zooplankton. And you have to say it like that. You can't say algae. You have to go algae. And, and you and change your voice and everything. Every time you see it, they feed on algae and zooplankton. And are a favorite meal for sunfish, according to Nona the Naturalist with Dana Wharf whale watching. Man, their alliteration is like a English professor got drunk and just said, I'm going to try my hand at marketing. Oh, absolutely. So when they wash up on beaches, the creatures look like deflated balloons or pieces of plastic. They also start to lose their color as they dry on land. Oh, that's sad. Wow. Well, that's all there is really to this. Um, apparently by the wind sailors ha also have stinging cells. So marine biologists say people should avoid touching them. So here's your PSA for today, folks. Don't touch Valola Valola when it washes up on shore. Otherwise, uh, wait, Nona the naturalist will come and smack you. No, I don't know what Nona would do. I mean, there's quite a bit of alliteration in this article. Yeah, there, there's a lot. Oh, and by the way, another PSA. You know that that thing where if you get stung by a jellyfish, somebody's supposed to pee on you? Mm -hmm. That's not true either. That's a lie. You're more than likely going to get an infection from somebody peeing on you in a beach. So are you supposed to just do nothing and get to a hospital? Or what yes. are you supposed to do? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um depending on well you should probably get evaluated by a medical professional you know not your cousin sitting there going yeah i gotta go pee yeah. let me uh, go on to the next article because that important note <laughs> yes only the most important news is discussed here in hometown this one's in the daily news show as well fox news settles lawsuit with venezuelan businessmen it accused of helping rig the 2020 u.s presidential election as it readies for $1.6 billion Dominion trial. And this is kind of like reading the tea leaves, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think this gives us some indication of how the other case may go. I don't know how to pronounce this person's, this Venezuelan business person's name, Majed Khalil, might be. Well, they settled with uh, this business person. Uh, Fox News settled with uh, business person Majel Khalil. They were accused of on air of rigging the 2020 presidential election by then Fox host Lou Dobbs. The network faces a slew of lawsuits with uh, jury selection imminent in the $1.6 billion Dominion trial. Wait a second here. So this is somebody accused from outside of the country. I suspect somebody that most people in the U.S. have not heard of. Um, yeah, this is definitely an interesting precursor for 
this mega trial relating to a company that probably everybody in America has heard of by now. <laughs> so this article um, has a closer connection, of course, to the election. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because this is just somebody. Why would somebody accuse a business, a Venezuelan business person from Fox news? Why would they, you know, go after some Venezuelan business person? Exactly. When I originally saw this headline, I didn't quite grasp the international piece of it. I was just thinking, oh, this much must be much smaller than the Dominion trial. But I think that's an interesting aspect, too. Yeah. So um, it's over at businessinsider.com. I think their name is Reedy Kanetkar and Jacob uh, Samson. I think it's. I don't think it's Shamsian, but I think it's Samson. But anyway, um, thanks to them for putting the article together here. Here's quickly the rundown of this. Fox News accused this Venezuelan business person of rigging the 2020 election. Lou Dobbs was the then Fox News host. That turned into uh, a lawsuit and they just settled now we're on the cusp of the dominion trial which is pretty much identical to this except that they accused a company not a person a company which uh, because of um whatchamacallit uh what's that that god i just forgot what it's called um turns a company into a Oh, uh, oh, um, uh, like piercing the corporate veil. No, or no, 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 no. The a company has an identity and is a person. Citizens United. Citizens United. Thank you. Anyway, because of Citizens United, it basically is treated like a living, thinking, separate entity and has all the rights that a human does. And guess what? I'm pretty sure that Dominion is going to win this, but how much are they going to get? I don't know. Well, and the damage to a company who is actually involved in the election process in the country has got to be just eons above the damage to an individual business person in another country. Here's how bad it, this person, uh, Lou Dobbs, I don't know, is he even alive anymore? But shortly after the election, Dobbs took to Twitter to call it a cyber pearl harbor and said that khalil was a liaison with hezbollah who had executed an electoral 9-11 okay i there's what? Just so much there to just go that's full like really leaning into the wingnut so khalil filed a 250 million dollar lawsuit against dobbs fox news its parent company fox corporation and sydney powell who i think is the one that uh, did the same level, right? Basically accusing things as of being a conspiracy to whatever. Anyway, a former lawyer for Donald Trump in December 2021 in Manhattan federal court. So in the lawsuit, Khalil denied he had any affiliations with Dominion and Smartmatic. So not even involved. I'm not even sure how this person could have been involved. Well, but how there they, they even get on the radar of Lou Dobbs? Like, that, this is so odd. Yeah. 
Um, and whoever this other person is, the Sydney Powell, who I, I think is kind of woo-hoo. anyway, um, U.S. District Judge uh, Luis L. Stanton, right? Lois. Dismissed the allegations against Powell. That was a very pregnant pause there in August of 2022, ruling that she couldn't be held liable in New York because she made claims about Khalil while in a different state. Fox News and Fox Corporation filed countersuits against Khalil in October, arguing he had genuine ties with the Venezuelan political elite. Okay, but that doesn't mean that he... (laughs) How does that translate to any of those assertions? That his name was only briefly mentioned in uh, broadcasts and that those mentioned were protected by First Amendment. No, not if they're libelous. <laughs> Did you see who his attorneys included? No. Um, oh, Camille Benjamin Vasquez. Chu and Camille Vasquez. Oh, my God. Wow. I did not even pay attention to that. I saw it, but I didn't pay attention to that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was kind of a hot mess trial, too, so... Anyway, Fox News and Dominion voting systems are soon expected to face off in trial in Delaware court. I I just don't see Fox News winning. I mean, I don't see how they can. I mean, everything that I've seen about this is just completely made up statements. Yeah. Which is exactly why they're going to trial. All the rest are going to get called in too. This, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think it'll be a trial worth watching. That's for sure. There's going to be some interesting sound bites in the news, I think. So now um, Smartmatic it is, it, there was a lawsuit, I guess. I'm not sure how this is actually going to pan out um, because it says that Dobbs show was canceled by Fox Business Network in February 2021, shortly after he was named in election company Smartmatic's $2.7 billion suit against Fox. The London-based technology firm accused the network of broadcasting more than 100 false claims, including the assertion that Smartmatic shared its technology with rival company Dominion Voting Systems. Revelations from filings in the Dominion lawsuit have already significantly damaged the network's reputation, showing that Fox News producers, executives, and hosts privately trashed election conspiracy theories while presenting them as credible to audiences. And this is stuff that's all been discussed on uh, the news all over the place. That kind of information is really going to be their downfall in these trials because it's going to show that they clearly knew the information was false and they were still pushing it out. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody wants to watch a train wreck. They don't want to watch the, it's why I need to, what do I need to do? I need to be like juggling uh, gerbils on fire or something so that people engage in the stream. I mean, you need to be basically making up the news headlines. I think then, yeah. (laughs) I I watched um, and I discussed this with someone Um, I watched another streamer and the streamer just like somebody said something in some way that might be perceived as being a a slight to the streamer. And for 30 minutes, the streamer went off on a tirade. Um, I ended up actually leaving. And when I was discussing this with somebody um, and I I don't want to get into who it was, but um, there were like 
maybe the person did it on purpose because they're loud and bombastic about it. And, uh, I didn't think of it that way. I thought that the person just had a screw loose. Um, and, um, but maybe they're right that you have to be whatever. Um, there's a lot of, uh, anyway, I don't want to yuck somebody else's yum, but it's just not my style. I'd rather just talk about the news and not sit there and lose my mind because somebody says that I'm not doing it the way that they would do it. But I guess that's just me. Um, but you want to go on to the next? Sounds good. Right on. So uh, the next article is in the Mobile Channel. Don't use public phone charging stations, according to the FBI. The problem is that hackers have found a way to introduce malware and other software onto devices through uh, the public stations, according to the FBI. Avoid using free charging stations in airports, hotels, shopping centers, um, says the Denver uh, FBI's Denver Twitter account. Bad actors have figured out a way to use public USB ports to introduce malware and monitoring software onto devices. Yeah, I know we already can't connect to Wi-Fi anywhere, but now we can't even charge. I'm I'm curious about how they would be going about it. So let's see um, if they have something um, here that actually shows it. Um, It says here that the Federal Communications Commission also warns against use on its website saying that hackers are able to load malware onto the USB ports, giving them the ability to maliciously access devices, according to the um, agency, and it's called juice jacking, which is the most horrendous label for whatever this is. I mean, (laughs) y'all are so dumb. (laughs) Anyway. If your battery's running low, be aware that juicing up your electric device at free USB uh, port charging stations could end you uh, up in, well, a compromised situation. Um, I'm not sure. It doesn't really say anything about this. Um, The only thing that I can think of is that they've figured out the firmware on the devices in these public places and they've created malware that compromises it, but. And they probably I, haven't replaced them in 10 years or something. I mean, knowing how a lot of infrastructure is, but I, it, I don't, I don't It really depends it really. on how sophisticated these charging systems are. If you have to create an account or you have to do anything, then yeah, I suppose, but I'm not sure why this, it depends I mean, on the, the charging system. I think this is just literally you go up and you plug your device into it. Like, I don't think it's anything more than that. See, but if it's just a USB hub that's charging things, a, a power distribution unit, okay, a PDU, it basically is a big wall wart that has a bunch of cables hanging off of it and you can plug in your device. Then there isn't anything smart about it. So there isn't a chip or anything there there um but if it's a computer that's measuring via a thing kind of what's basically called a kilowatt 
It's a thing that measures how much power is being drawn through a particular cable or device, you know, and it and sits in line. If there's something in there that can be compromised by something like a rubber ducky or uh, another modified USB device that automatically sends um, command stroke keystrokes into the device, um, you could compromise a computer sitting in the black box of whatever that charging platform is. Maybe that's what the, what's going on, but I don't know. I'd have to go and look. It would be very interesting. Um, but really, if you don't have a, if you're traveling and you don't have like a USB-C charger and a, and a wall wart, um, a cable and a, and a wall wart, then you're traveling wrong. I, I would rather go and buy one. Even if I have to put it on a credit card, I would rather buy one from the airport shop and sit next to a wall jack and, and charge my stuff rather than use a public charging system. There's no way in hell that I would do that. Um, part of the whole idea of click with care, you just don't do it. Um, let's keep on hustling. The uh, next article is in the Warcrafters channel and uh, it's wonderful and ai can crack the most common passwords almost instantly so just how strong are your passwords a recent study finds that ai and ai password cracker can figure out most of the common four to seven character passwords in a matter of seconds the scary part is that it includes passwords with upper and lowercase and even numbers well that's you know pretty much assumed when somebody says it can pass go ahead and who has four to seven character passwords? I mean, don't we have to have ridiculous passwords that we can't remember? So, <laughs> well, I mean, within businesses, it's forced, but personal lives, people use some pretty, pretty weak passwords. It says here, a cybersecurity firm, Home Security Heroes via Tom's Hardware said Passcan an AI password cracking tool that leverages a generative adversarial network or GAN um, over 15 million common passwords to train the model that could brute force the most common ones in short order. Um, George Jimenez <clears throat> said that it might Are be you sure time. about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty sure. I, I should have saved that video. Um, said that it might be time to change your password. Well, Honestly, if you don't have anything shorter than a 15 character password, you're probably doing yourself a disservice because um, it's been fairly simple. The I've talked about this several times in the year and a half that we've been doing the show, nearly year and a half that we've been doing the show. Um, you should not be using weak passwords. You should be using passphrases. You should have two factor authentication enabled so that you're notified when anybody attempts to access your account. Um, and your password should be unique everywhere. Also, I would not trust, um, password vaults, um, like remote services that can store your password. And all you have to do is worry about your main password, uh, mainly because it's not if, but when that password management service gets hacked. Um, and you just won't know it because the typical breach 
uh, is 18 months old before it's detected and then upwards of another six months before an actual patch fully patches whatever the issue is depending and we've on had what some articles in here about that for one service in particular yeah um so essentially the biggest thing that puts the pressure on not being able to hack a password is some type of temporal shutdown temporal lock of the uh, password attempt service so when you try to hack after three attempts it locks you out entirely you have to call someone now if there's an idiot on the other side of the line when you call they could be fished right into unlocking the account and resetting the password um, or um, exposing other PII um, but really what needs to happen is you try three times it gets locked for five minutes if you try it again it gets locked for 10 minutes and so on um, and then you can reset it by issuing a reset request that processes through your two-factor authentication and your valid password um, so i would rather companies invoke that but that largely does not happen anyway um, they say here that ai struggles with passwords more than 12 characters uh, long with a mixture of numbers and uppercase lowercase letters and a password with 18 characters could take up to 7 billion years to crack now <laughs> including for yourself when you can't remember your password yeah ai and quantum computers together would probably do away with this and if i get a password file i can create thousands of um virtual machines if i want into that password file whatever that vault is if i can get a hold of it and on windows machine it's fairly easy um on other devices maybe not so much but if i can capture the entire device then i can create it as a virtual machine and attempt again and again and again automatically with a thousand virtual machines running trying to get into this system and it dramatically lowers how much time needs to be dedicated yeah you know, uh, and i'm talking about linear time the composite amount of a thousand devices checking constantly um, is wholly different than me just sitting there typing in 12 to 18 characters obviously that's going to take time but computers can run parallel they're the only thing that runs parallel right they're the only thing that multitasks humans do not um, and we get tired or stupid or sleepy or whatever or well, distracted distracted yeah um, if you've watched any of this show you know how distracted we can be. I was sitting here watching this video while talking to y'all. Anyway, um, yes, eventually a short password will be broken by an AI. As time goes on, more computing power, quantum computers having the ability to do the same type of calculations as a, a, a general PC. Um, and we will be uh, in a hot moment compromised simply because somebody has enough money to buy a, an AI and a quantum computer, which you can now buy for like $5,000, a full on That's crazy. I think it was like a four qubit 
um, super or, um, quantum computer. I think we even did a, a show about it. We last did. Year. Yeah. Pretty neat, y'all. Um, uh, at, at some point, you know, even passwords are going to be going to have to be much more sophisticated, biometric, um, maybe in Gattaca style, where the only way you can unlock something is by a genetic pinprick from a live host. That's going to be a bit much. <laughs> Jerome, Jerome, the metronome. That's from Gattaca. Which, by the way, uh, what was the show that we were watching where the couple? Oh, it was something on YouTube talking about. Oh, it was about... from the Y Files. Um, I thought it was something else. Oh, really? Oh, I'll have to figure it out. I'll have to look, and we'll we, we maybe we can talk about it because I'm interested in that genetics and stuff. Um, at any rate, let's keep on hustling. So. This next article is in the Mobile Channel, and Elephant's self-taught peeling, uh, banana peeling, offers a glimpse at Elephant's broader abilities. Uh, I've always loved elephants, um, and unfortunately, they are getting fewer and far between. Um, and uh, they used to be pulled into... Um, Oh, it was called Some More News. That's what it was. It was a YouTube channel called Some More News. Or Some More News. Anyway, um, sorry for the sidetrack there. The AI sent me a message. And so it says here, she reserves it for yellow-brown bananas. First breaking the banana before shaking out and collecting the pulp, leaving the thick peel behind. So this Asian elephant, um, Peng Fa, uh, picked up a banana peeling style all their own. And it's always fascinated me when I'm sitting there watching some animal where I go, well, you know, it's just an animal and it's doing what animals do. And then it, it does something out like way out of bounds, picks up a camera and takes a selfie or, right. or, or plays with a hula hoop like it saw somebody else play with a hula hoop or um, it's shocked by a magic trick or I've seen horses playing with uh, like uh, giant beach balls and cows doing it too. And, and here we have this crows sledding down roofs on purpose. Crows, the, the, the sledding down snow covered roofs was spectacular. Um, and it, Obviously, you know, what was it doing? What, what is there somebody out there that's going to tell me that it was doing it because it was learning how to do something it would normally do in nature? I don't know about you, but I don't know that you need sledding skills as a crow. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe. <laughs> so this article is over at fizz.org by Cell Press. And it says here... Um, the female elephant most likely learned the unusual peeling behavior from watching her caretakers peel bananas for her. According to the author's report, the findings in a single elephant show that elephants have, um, sorry, elephants more broadly have special cognitive and manipulative abilities, they say. We discovered a very unique behavior, said Michael Brecht uh, of Humboldt University. Oh my gosh, University. 
um, Berlin Bernstein Center for Computational Neuroscience. You know what? I'm just going to go. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> that is quite the plaque, you know, the little placard. <laughs> yeah, their desk or office or whatever. You know, they center it on their shoulder on the football team and it runs off, you know. <laughs> or it has like a hyphen and it goes down another line. Right, right. Five of so those. Yeah, their letterhead. Yeah, exactly. Microprint. Anyway, what makes Peng Fei, or sorry, yeah, Peng Fa, um, banana peeling so unique is a combination of factors skillfulness, speed, individuality, and the putatively human origin rather than a single behavior element. So you really want to knock it out of the park, have her teach another elephant. Absolutely. The other thing that really amazes me here, other than the fact that she observed humans doing this, she picks certain bananas to do this with. Yeah. Yellow yeah. ones she eats with the peel, but with brown spots she takes the peel off. <laughs> I just think that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, when the yellow brown bananas are offered to a group of other elephants, um Fa changes her behavior, they report. She eats as many bananas as she can whole and then saves the last one to peel later. <laughs> Huh. Wow. Yeah, they can't explain why Fa peels them, but only certain ones. She was hand-raised by human caretakers in the Berlin Zoo. They never taught her to peel bananas, but they did feed her peeled bananas. So they must have, well, she must have watched them and can tell the difference, the taste between a peeled and an unpeeled banana. Maybe she There's doesn't like texture, the texture. Maybe. That's what I just said. Dun, dun, dun. This is pretty cool. Anyway, there's a video associated with it. So again, follow that link. Um, the next article is over in the Law Nerd channel, and we only have one more after this. Um, we only have 10 articles today. Former CEO thinks Judge's novel is based on him, wants a new judge. Um, this is over at Above the Law. So I'm just going to jump right on over there because the little snippet is very brief. He thinks the antagonist is based on him. That's very much an antagonist. Catherine Rubino is the author of this article over at Above the Law. And it says here that uh, former CEO of Highland Capital Management, James D. Dondero, believes novels written by U.S. bankruptcy judge Stacey Jernigan contains an evildoer character based on him what's that song um think it's about you about you i don't know that one. Oh, hmm. who is it that sings that talk on it anyway um it's akin to the two thoughts was that song and then sometimes a cigar is just a cigar why would you think that this is you i don't know I and i mean <laughs> Unless the person is spot on, like it's like the character's name matches it with one letter changed and it describes where they live or something like this is really not a good start in your case. I don't know. <laughs> so the ABA journal actually reported on it. It says, but the original petition lays out Dondero's argument for why the character 
of Cole Graham in Jernigan's books, he watches all my paths and hedging death is based on him. So this is what they write. According to the petition, the first novel describes the high flying hedge fund managers uh, as an individuals that suck up money like an iRobot vacuum, seem to quote, make money no matter what and quote, show outrageous amounts of hubris as part of their bro culture. It strongly suggests a judge harboring bias against those operating in the hedge fund industry, or they're a writer. <laughs> yeah, but there's a little bit of a connection as you get farther in here with the name. Yeah, the petition alleges several similar similarities to Dondero. Um, and his company in the second novel. They include the novel involves a Dallas-based hedge fund uh, called Ranger Capital. Highland Capital Management was formerly known as Ranger Asset Management. Ranger Capital's managers, described as a reckless investment manager and a nasty litigant, Jernigan had used the same language to describe Dondero in the bankruptcy proceedings. Um, and uh, the novel describes the life settlement industry as creepy. Dondero was involved in the life settlement industry. Okay, so maybe this person's on to something. When I read this headline, I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> well, but hold on. It says, but the judge says Dondero is seeing things that aren't there and that the character is not based on him. Jernigan said the novels are entirely fiction and are not about Dondero or the hedge fund industry in general. The first novel is about a federal judge who receives death threats, Jernigan said. The perpetrator is not a person in the hedge fund industry. The second novel involves a manhunt for a criminal in the first book. The Cade Graham character fakes his death after linking up with a Mexican drug cartel. As for the Ranger Capital coincidence, Jernigan said... Uh, she never once heard that it was a prior name of Highland Capital Management. <laughs> well, and this kind of sums it up. A Texas um, author using a Ranger reference. Yeah, I mean, that might be more generic than I'm recognizing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting, but uh, it's a dink. you know? It's not... Now, here's the thing. Were the books written after the trial? Right. And were they written after? I mean, had the judge ever encountered Highland Capital previously? Like, I want to know the backstory. Yeah, there's a context here that I think really matters. So now I'm going to, uh, after the show, I'm going to look um, for this order um, whenever this trial was and when these books were published to see if there is alignment. Because if there is alignment, then there's too many, you know, you could have all three of those other things and it's a coincidence. Absolutely. But if it aligns with publish date after the fact, then the person was used as inspiration. But still, what does it matter? It doesn't show bias. It just shows that they took something and used it as inspiration, you know? Yeah, it's still not a very good look since the judge is supposed to be impartial. And like if, for instance, if if the um, perpetrator in the book was the hedge fund CEO and it seemed to be the same character and there'd have to be more than just coincidences, like is the person going to get a fair trial? See, but I just 
I don't see it that way. The way I see it is they got inspiration from it. You know, HP Lovecraft was a horribly racist person, but he didn't see actual uh, Cthulhu. It's a creative effort. And the cultural relativism of HP Lovecraft's writing is inspired by the, the cultural times, right? So that's what was included in the book. Does it make him a racist? Absolutely. But does it make him uh, a loon that, uh, that thought he saw uh, Cthulhu in the real life? No, it was inspiration. What well, went on I around him? When I first read this headline, I thought it was ridiculous. I mean, the article makes a good connection potentially between the facts, but I thought you've got to be kidding me when I read that headline. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, it's still ongoing, right? There wasn't anything. Yeah, I don't. It, it's just, it's very It's a odd. petition and to get I a new judge? Think, well, and I'm kind of thinking, okay, let's say that's denied. I mean, it just sounds like the person's setting up appellate grounds right okay right. now i'm gonna appeal it hey i had a biased judge here they even wrote books about me i mean i'm not saying there's anything to that but it's just it's very odd Hmm. Huh, interesting so he petitioned well he wanted to get a, a rehearing of the bankruptcy appeal so he already appealed it I mean, he's oh, digging. Okay. He, he's Sorry. digging really hard to try and get a, a rehearing um, of his situation, but I don't know. I see. I see this as going in the wrong direction in relation to the problem that he's in. <laughs> well, it's not building your credibility before the court. Let me just say that. And it's not going to vacate a bankruptcy. It, you know, I mean. Even if this person did use them, it's inspiration. Good luck. You know, you're not using everything of this person and giving away true identity. I think the person's going to lose and dig even deeper into the bankruptcy. Okay, so here's the last article for today. Um, and it's inspiring me to dig back into the movies of all of the Star Trek movies and, and watch them all again. For the first time, you can now buy or rent every single Star Trek movie in the latest 4K HDR standards. And that includes all six movies based on the original series cast, all four featuring the Next Generation cast and the more recent J.J. Abrams movies, which probably were pretty darn close to it already. Um, so this is pretty fun, at least for me. 13 Star Trek movies are available in 4K, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, which basically means uh, big screen home theater. Here I come. Binge watch uh, Star Trek movie marathon. That's right. And every time something goes to warp, you take a drink, and by the end of the first movie, you're unconscious, and you're not worrying about the rest of the movies. Samuel Axon over at uh, Ars Technica wrote this article and brought it to our attention. So, and that's all there really is to it. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I think we'll have to be watching these. No, no, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're saying that all three seasons of the original series and all seven of the next generation got Blu-ray 
and digital HD releases in recent years, as well as Enterprise and the animated series and the all-new Paramount Plus shows, are in HD, but Deep Space Nine and Voyager are still only in standard def. Okay, so that's all of the TV series, but all of the theatrically released Star Trek films are now in 4K and HDR. What I want are all of the old ones upscaled to um, HD. They're, some of them are so old that they're unwatchable on a big screen TV. You have to you basically just have to watch them on an iPad or your iPhone um, and and put them really close to your... I don't know. It, ugh, they're just so bad nowadays. When you actually can see the compositing uh, of the <laughs> ship flying across the sky, it's horrible. Um, but I'll take a look at them and see. I think I own all of these anyways. So, um, they, they update them. Oh, on... you don't have to buy them again? That, well, sometimes you do. They re-release it as a different version. Um, but like I have two different copies of the same movie because they've upscaled it or given a new feature and they didn't do it to the same one um, because I've never bought two of the same movie. But um, I've actually, a, a new one has appeared. Um, at any rate, they say here at the very end of this, uh, a previous version of the article failed to properly distinguish between the non-AI and AI techniques used in prior attempts to remaster portions of Deep Space Nine, and it was corrected in the update. Um, yeah, Deep Space Nine is almost a pivotal, a pivot, a pivotal uh, element in the Star Trek. A small screen, I don't know, what do they call it? You know, big screen is cinematic universe, the small screen universe, television universe, um, where it really did pivot into being a darker Star Trek world um, of major conflict um, with the Dominion. Um, and Picard is largely running with that. So, um, I would love to do a show just on that now because there's so much world building in existence. And when people talk about the show, they talk about that. They talk about the show, but not necessarily the world building involved. Um, because the, the threads are in your, everything's taking place in the same microcosm. You know, it's not that big of a area of space that they cover. Um, so all of these episodes are tied together with all of the species and stuff. It'd be fun to do that kind of a show instead of purely on the each canned episode. I think I'd probably need a different co-host for that. <laughs> you might. So if you're interested in this kind Not of thing. Not from lack of interest, but lack of knowledge. <laughs> um Marwat is looking for hosts and co-hosts for other shows. Um, so uh, email me, uh, mayor at hometown.com. Okay, that's it. We're done. Ta-da. <laughs> so like always, we took you down Main Street of hometown. Now we just turned around, drove you all the way back to the welcome sign so you can do it all on your own. You just come back to the welcome sign of hometown and mash the sign and it'll refresh everything. You get a whole bunch of new articles 
Sometimes there's no thumbnail, but we're working on that. And um, I don't know. There's probably some articles in here, but I'm just going to call it a night. We're just going to. We're just going to chill now. Um, you can like go over to Oomtown. chilling in the pool. That was on the main page. <laughs> Did I walk past yeah. it? Um, right there. On the ABC News one. Oh, right there. Yeah. Alligator cools off in Florida swimming pool. Man, it's an alligator eat alligator world out there, folks. Oh, God. Sorry, there's other news that I don't even want to get into. So I will see you all tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. The AI will see all of this news and then we can talk with the AI, but nobody can see the AI. Not until that Terminator body is ready, I suppose. And then watch <laughs> out. You want to say bye to everybody? Sure. Good night, hometown citizens, and we will see you at tomorrow's show. Oh, I did it backwards. I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com, and up there is the AI. You want to say Who bye just again? Spoke. <laughs> <sighs> Good night, hometown citizens. Round two. Bye bye. <laughs>